<laughs> amen, amen. We got, we got one person awake. <laughs> it is so good. Um, it's just a reminder to us. You know, I mean, even just, just that. I think they probably heard a couple amens, uh, whoever, wh- whoever's baby that was or every kid that was. And it's just a reminder to me that even this past week, I was just reminded of the power of discipleship, of just how it's so important for us uh, to model uh, just our, our Christ-likeness and walking out the faithfulness of, of Christ in our daily lives. And, you know, probably the, the greatest indicator, I think, um, as what, from what we've heard from, from research, uh, uh, of the biggest indicator of, of the correlation of, of your kid not dropping out of church is really, it goes back to the parents modeling a, a lifestyle of real and authentic discipleship um, at an early age. That is really the crux and just really the, the, the biggest correlation that we have that leads to kids growing up and becoming Jesus followers. And I was just reminded of that, that that day of this week as I was just busy working. We were doing a lot of stuff. And I was working at home. And, you know, I'm working on the computer. I'm typing with my, my keyboard and my mouse. And all of a sudden, you know, Ezra comes up and he's asking me what I'm doing. And then he pulls right up to me. He puts a stool on. He gets a mouse. And then he gets this, uh, this scale that lights up digitally. And then he pretends it's a, it's, it's a, it's a laptop. And, and, and then he's, like, writing some Post-it notes, which is basically his name and a truck or something like that, and he was just trying to model and trying to just be like daddy. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish, I desire that in those times that I would be able to model much more. If that is true on a very um, basic scale, I wonder what it's like for us that we are modeling, that we're modeling a love and a passion for Jesus, a, a, a real-life discipleship, even in our joys, even in the midst of our greatest failures, that we would walk in a way that our kids will grow up and say, man, he was, he was, he was not perfect, but he was walking. He was walking in the way of the scriptures. And that, to me, is the most important thing. I've really come to grips with this this week, that the greatest impact that you can make in this world is discipleship. And we're going to launch into that, into our passage. If you would turn with me in, in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, we're going to see the impact of a church that's all about a deep discipleship. And um, we're going to take a look at my favorite church in all of Scripture. You know, a lot of times we have a favorite book of the Bible, a favorite verse. But um, this is my all-time favorite church, the church at Antioch. And we're going to see what discipleship in the earliest stages look like in the context of our sermon series, Normal Christianity, which we want to paint the picture that we got to look back and see what the scriptures are teaching us about what is normal, what they saw as real-life discipleship. So look with me in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so um, we're going to outline 
briefly, what does discipleship within normal Christianity looks like? And because um, uh, I've grown up as a Southern Baptist preacher, I'm going to outline it with the four P's. That's not what I usually do all the time, but um, just to help us as we track along um, and as we were just really encouraged by Jason's uh, sermon last week on God's will. So uh, the first P is God's presence. Presence. The first thing we got to note is that this is not a time of great peace, but a time of great persecution uh, for those who follow the way of Jesus. We see that Stephen stoning and eventual martyrdom was meant to silence the church and to stop its growth. But actually what happened was the very opposite, that from far from stopping the church, persecution spread to uh, spread the church. The Jewish uh, church was heavily persecuted. We see that first by Nero in, in AD 64 to 68, and then by Vespasian in AD 69, and leading to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where all that uh, just really came to head. But that's where the epicenter of the early church shifted away from the Jewish epicenter and away from that. And we see that happen through persecution. Can you imagine that the greatest church growth movement happened because they were being martyred and killed and jailed. But that was what was pushing the, the early church as far as away from Phoenicia and Cyprus and all the way to Antioch. Now, some of them retained a, a Jewish mindset, and, and as, they, as they spoke only to the Jewish uh, people, however, the focus are those who broke out of their old mindset. Look at with me. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, or the Greek-speaking uh, Jews also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, who were these men from Cyprus and Cyrene? Well, we know from Acts 8.1 that these men were not apostles. So who were they? I love this because this shows us that they're the nameless, faceless heroes. In other words, they were what? ordinary. They were people like us. They were what commentators call the amateur Christians, following God's calling in Antioch. And, they didn't, and, and so they, were, they spent this time not just speaking to the Jews, but to the Hellenists who were the non-Jews, the, the, the Greek-speaking um, Gentiles at that time who were, in a sense, you know, taken out of that picture. And what we see from there is that they went to all these cities as far and as way to Antioch. Who was Antioch? Antioch was a major commercial center. It was the third largest city uh, in the Roman Empire. And it served as the hub, kind of like Houston does, between the main roads and the Mediterranean. It was racially diverse. May have been one of the most diverse places of about a half a million inhabitants, about 25,000 of them Jews. But also, also, it was just not just a bustling commercial center. It was a place of widespread sexual immorality. You know, the grove of, groves of Daphne is where the people participated in sexual rites for the worship of Apollo. And Antioch was a place with a reputation for immorality. This is no mistake. When we are living normal Christianity, we're not just looking for places to live that would suit our preferences or our comfort. We have to retain this missional emphasis that we're not here for cheap housing or for just to retain our family values, but we are here for one purpose, and that is mission. We are in the, third, we are in the most 
diverse city of the United States. We're in possibly the, the third or fourth largest city here in the United States. And I want to ask you, Christian, what is the reason why you are living here in Houston? It was very much like Antioch. In fact, it was a bustling, this is a bustling commercial center. You know, uh, on the streets of downtown, it's not usually as busy, but I've heard that in the tunnels uh, underneath, it's as busy as New York City. This is a place in which it's a foodie town. There is uh, more, the medical center is the largest of its kind in the United States. But also, it's very dark. The U.S. justice system has identified the I-10 quarter as the number one human trafficking route in the United States. We are introduced to so much racial prejudice and racism and, and, and problems beyond compare in Houston. And normal Christianity says that you're not here on accident. You're on here because you're on mission for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. You're here to be a light in the dark. This is not an accident that you are here. We live in a present day Antioch, and I want that to hit home. Yet these amateur Christians were not afraid of going to a really wicked city. In fact, they went to preach the Lord Jesus. They, if you look at the text, they led with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why were they so fearless? We see that in the scriptures. It was because the hand of the Lord was with them. Don't you love that? What's the result of that? The hand of the Lord was with them. I think that is, if you want a, a picture, a definition of what success is, it goes no further than that. God's presence, his hand is with them. And I believe that just out of humility, I feel a sense that God is, his hand is right here on hope. He loves you and dearly has chosen us to be a people in this particular town, to be a local body of believers coming in together, um, just as we've seen from baby dedications to walk and journey with each other in the way. And he loves us. And, and this I believe, I've just been here for three years. My wife had just reminded me of that, and some of you have read, but it's been three years since I've been here. And the very first time, and you all probably have the same um, kind of conclusion, the first time I was here, man, I was like, wow, the Spirit of God is in this place. Amen? Amen? And it's with us and with our, with our church family. And that's what led to a great number of people believing and turning to the Lord. This is the only time that we see in Scripture that believe and turn summarize people's repentance in a single verse. It shows this depth of radical transformation that their witness was just saturated with the presence of God that people could just not help but to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we see the church of Christ preaching the gospel of Christ in the presence of Almighty God, our discipleship starts when God's hand is with us. Remember before Jesus gave the Great Commission, we forget those crucial words, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. After he says, I give you all authority on heaven and earth, and he ends it, making disciples, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We carry the very presence of God whenever we gather and we witness about Jesus. The presence of Jesus should be so thick among our lips and in our mouths that we literally smell of Christ's love and power just, just drawing us like the smell of Creole-infused 
pasta with andouille sausage and or, you know, the fragrant aroma of freshly brewed coffee in the morning. Let us not be marked by anything else than the presence of Jesus in our worship services and in our home groups and every other ministry in which people gather. And as we relaunch our home group starting August 23rd, what if the presence of God was so thick, was so evident that people just felt deeply cared for, loved, that they would just see the gospel of Jesus on our very lips, on every home group meeting. And I want to implore you and ask us to pray and fast for that, that I implore you that every home group meeting, that we would especially ask the Lord uh, just, to, just for everybody who comes into our home groups and into our doors, that they would feel so loved that their hearts would be open to the Lord and Jesus Christ. And so let us, we see that large numbers of people turn to the Lord. We are marked by a vibrancy of people that are coming to know the Lord. And um, churches that are about discipleship are also about evangelism. But not just stopping there, but radical transformation. That's the goal of our hope, you know, DNA, our, our hope discipleship is that we don't want to just stop at faith or, or decisions. We are hungry for radical transformation. We're longing for that just to ooze out into our church. You know, when I came to hope, I, I, one of our brothers, Simon Lee, was so instrumental in just, uh, just speaking to me and encouraging me and building me up. And he remembered something that Peter had said. That had challenged him so much. He said that Peter said something to the effect of, I'm not sure if I'm completely right on this, but uh, this is my paraphrase that he shared. Peter shared that if you've been here for six months, if you have not, and if you, you have not grown in a greater love for Jesus and the transformation than you did six months before, then Peter said, that's on me. And that's on all of leaders at um, Hope Church. And he was just so blown away that Peter would take a responsibility on him, that burden on him like that. Can you imagine the weight of that responsibility, but also the joy of just seeing that lived out at Hope? And yet to see that six months, think back six months, think back nine months, think back a year ago, how have you changed? How have you been radically transformed to pursue Jesus and to know him, to listen to his voice. Maybe it's listening to his voice. You've grown in that. Maybe you've grown in the gifts. Maybe you have had a, a prayer that you've been praying for years and months that you never thought would be answered, but God led you to, to hope and you were prayed over and the Lord just ministered to you and brought a breakthrough. Oh, we're praying that six months from now, every single one of us in this room would be radically transformed for the glory of Jesus. And so hope, I hope we're not content with just showing up, but that we would get back into this, that we would want to see lives change, that we want to see this picture that we see in Acts happening on a normal, everyday basis. Amen. <laughs> we want to see that, and we want to see people believing in Jesus and turning and all out surrender. And so I want to ask us, is the hand of the Lord is he upon us in power? Are we praying as some of our discipleship is going to be challenging you? Are we praying for signs and wonders? Are we praying for some of in our body to be healed physically or spiritually or emotionally? Is what we are doing now the result and only the result of the Holy Spirit? 
So I want to challenge us as we look toward um, ending the summer, as we're moving into this new season that God has for us. Are we hungering for the Lord in greater surrender? Let's look at verses 22 to 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the first P is presence. The second P is partnership. And that's what we see here in the discipleship aspect is that we see partnership. The report or literally the word on the street reaches the main church in Jerusalem. And this is encouraging because the early church was involved and they were wondering what was going on among those Gentiles over there. You remember, do you remember, you know, um, Titus and as they were persecuted, where did they go and what was going on and were they okay and were they spreading the name of Jesus? Just think about how, what a joy it was to hear that they not only were spreading the name of Jesus, but they were reaching the Gentiles that in Antioch specifically, God was moving. And you remember, you see, you remember that Paul's mission was to reach the Gentiles because back in, the, back in those times, the Jews and the Gentiles, they did not mix. And not only that, they had animosity toward one another, but God was doing a new thing in which uh, Paul and, 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 and the Jewish church had this shared partnership, but also accountability to shepherd the churches as far away as Syria. And I think that's what we, they need. New churches need older and mature churches to partner with them. New pastors need older and wise and seasoned pastors to partner with them. And here, I'm so glad that they give this model of accountability and leadership. And they hand it over to none other than Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to go and encourage the Antioch church. And this really shows that discipleship, if we're really going to be about it, that, that, that with church planning, that it's got to have accountability. No church flies solo, but we need to bond together and partner together with the churches in Houston and with those who are gospel-centered and like-minded. And so, and when Barnabas saw it, he rejoiced. He didn't criticize. He was glad because this was a purely a work of God's grace. And he exhorted them. And he said to remain, um, to remain faithful and steadfast of purpose. We actually were told here, uh, given a spiritual profile of Barnabas and saying that he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I can't think of anyone more right than to be able to speak into their lives than, than, um, than Barnabas. And I can't think of anything more powerful than empowering these new believers to, to bring somebody like Barnabas full of the Holy Spirit just to say he was glad, he rejoiced, and he empowered them. And see, discipleship means that there's an authority structure that empowers and blesses. And that's why I love how hope is structured. There's a plurality of elders, and we partner um, in things together. We are um, seeing each other. We have the utmost respect for each other. We disagree. If we disagree, we disagree with grace and honesty, and we love one another. And we're working together with our leaders to advance the kingdom of God. One of the things that is still heavy on our hearts as we're looking toward this new season is battling sex trafficking. We're possibly looking into things like the Church Freedom Alliance and Alliance of Churches United to End Human Trafficking here in the Houston area. And also we're passionate about uh, missions and church planning too. And in fact, we're definitely pressing in and partnering with members like Chris and Keegan so that we can make a bigger et eternal impact in Houston. And some of you have read that on Realm and just what they did yesterday in the food distribution, which is you know, also thanks to Ryan with the Love Your Neighbor initiative. But if those things are on your heart, we want to simply empower you and unleash you to lead out. Let's go to our third P. 
Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he had brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas didn't just give a shout out or click like and then go back to the Jerusalem church. Everything he did was strategic and purposeful. And he knew this new church at Antioch needed help. And so he goes back to Tarsus and he goes back to get Saul, right? As you remember 10 years before, Paul was formerly known as Saul. He was the foremost persecutor of the church. He had stamped out Stephen's execution. He was there. And then God radically transformed him on the Damascus road. He saw a vision of the Lord Jesus. He, then he got powerfully converted. He went back to his hometown in Tarsus, which he probably spent growing, uh, speaking to the Lord, and then evangelizing to the Jews and Gentiles. Um, may have met with James and other church leaders there, and he probably planted some churches in Cilicia um, there. And during that time, he was building up people for the word of God. And so Barnabas knew exactly the person to go to. His mission was to meet, uh, to go and find Saul and bring him back, which was to teach, to meet with the church. And he brought him back to meet with the church and teach many people. And it's telling me that this is what summarized this whole year that, that Paul was there. It was literally the preaching or the teaching. There was a huge focus on, on diving deep into the scriptures. And we know it would be consistent um, like when Paul spoke to the Ephesians elders where he said this. He did not shrink on declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, there was no holding back. These young believers were receiving major equipping, starting from the beginnings of Genesis all the way to the Gospels. That's incredible. Somehow we've lost the idea that Christian discipleship doesn't just involve getting together with likes and doing the same things together or fellowship. It's also building people up in the Scriptures. And no more than any time that I can think of than before that we need to battle loneliness, anxiety, and depression. And we got we to gotta go and get it together. And we, we know that we've gone through so many changes, but there's been so many changes. But hope has essentially not changed and, and of who we are. And that's why home groups exist. It's one of the primary vehicles of discipleship within hope. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's, it's a group, a smaller group of people, about 20 to 25 adults, and, um, in which we press into discipleship. And I'm so excited that this year the elders and the elders' wives are going to oversee each of these home groups to be able to really pour into the disciples so that they could in, pour, pour, uh, in turn pour into you. And this year we're going to focus on walking out that covenant because it always goes back to the scriptures and it goes back to scripture and to pursuing holiness and to prayer. And we're so excited to walk it out. And so uh, I want to invite Eddie to come on up. Um, I, I don't know if y'all knew this, but we're just giving a surprise testimony. Uh, let's welcome Eddie. I want him just to be able to share his experience um, of, of home groups. So. Steve asked me earlier today about just sharing this moment. I was talking to him about, about this right before uh, service started. You guys may know this, but it's been about five years, a little bit over five years since uh, God connected us with Hope Church. And really at that moment, I came to sing. Um, it was, uh, they needed someone to come lead worship that night. And I kind of <laughs> snuck in the Sunday before to listen to Monica and Jonathan lead worship one night. And there was a piano, Jake and, and some other people. And I led worship the following Sunday. And, and it was something, <clears throat> I just loved it. I just, it was enjoyed it. And we, we leave that night, my 
Salisha and the kids came with me. And God just impacted us in such a powerful way. We left like, man, what in the world is up with this church? How much they just poured and loved in, in, into us. And about a week later, the elders talked to me about offering me a position to come on stage and to be up here and, and start doing the worship. And I was like, well, sure. He said, sounds, sounds great. I, I would love to do that. And about a week later, they put a pause and they say, hey, Eddie, you know what? We were just praying about this and we don't want this just to be a place that you uh, call a gig or you just kind of say, hey, this is some income coming in and, you know, you're here for a year and then you leave. Peter said, I want you guys just to get connected to home groups. I want you to start going to um, discipleship and just hang out, just come to church. And so we did that for the first time in my life in ministry. I hung out for about four months from January to April. We came every Sunday evening uh, from spring all the way down here. And then on Tuesday nights, we were coming in, uh, to the Nippers house uh, for discipleship. And I remember the first night we get to, uh, to home group. And we're there. It's nice. We're, we're getting to know people. And it's a little you know, whatever. And then we ended up going to, I think it was Kylie's room or the guest room up there. And then we get up there with Peter. Simon and a couple other guys, and we're sitting down. I think I'm sitting on the edge of this little girl's bed. This is a little <laughs> weird, but okay, cool. This is something new. I'm just feeling God's presence and God's love pouring through, through these guys. And then Peter asked this question. So, okay, guys, let's talk about our deepest, darkest, ugliest sin that you've been walking in this week. I was like, oh, I don't even know this guy, man. I'm not going to, how can I, I don't have the, but there was something inside of me that felt safe to look and say, you know what, this is something no one has ever challenged me and no one's ever asked me these things. And so I begin to share the struggles and the addictions that I've walked in for so long since I was 12 years old. And, and man, I just felt a release in my spirit because it was such a safe place and accountability. And it wasn't a couple weeks later, I think Robert was there. He might have been in that first night. The Hanses were there. And Peter walks in this moment of, let's do some listening prayers. I want to talk to you guys about what this is. I never done that. Raised Pentecostal, you know, just seeing all the craziness at church. But I never walked through this moment of intimacy with the Lord of listening prayer. So Peter teaches us and talks to us a little bit about that. And we begin to walk through this listening prayer. And man, at that moment, God just did something inside of me that I just started seeing these images and these things about the different guys in our room. And I remember sharing something with Robert Hans about what God was doing. And I think they had just moved here. And I think to this day, I think we were just talking about this a while back, that he said that was a, an impactful moment. And now to these moments that I just live now five years later in discipleship and accountability, how God has impacted my life. It truly is. I mean, really, really, really. I can, I, every time I talk about Hope Church, I say, you will never, ever. I, you, there, I've, I've talked about with, with a lot of you guys that you are not the same person six months later, even a few months later. Us, my wife and I, Salisha and I, five years later, how God has incredibly transformed us. For being a child raised in church, but over the last five years, we have gone, got so close with the Lord and been impacted by discipleship, by accountability. And, I, and I've seen God move in such a tremendous uh, uh, way in my life. And so I just share that moment uh, with, with you guys. So Let's get up for Eddie. Wow. Wow. That's just really powerful to hear how God has just used you and, and just to see you right now, Eddie. I've just seen you've grown into a man of, who's after God's heart and just really so grateful um, that the Lord just went after you and it was through home groups and 
just going at our deepest, darkest sins and our struggles and pursuing holiness together. And Eddie, I think that's, that's what it's all about. That's what discipleship is really all about. So we just want to push in, we want to press in to what God has for us this year and this coming season. It's just so encouraging. Thanks, thanks so much, Eddie. Which leads us to the final P. When you look at this passage, I think it just looks so shockingly ordinary. You know, in normal Christianity, you're thinking that we're going to talk about speaking in tongues or doing all this kind of crazy thing. But when you look at this, this is so ordinary. But I want to encourage you that as you look at this text, as Paul just went ahead and he taught the Christians and Barnabas, along with Barnabas, for a whole year, and he said, and he preached Jesus to them, he preached the scriptures, he, he dove in deep. And it was that at Antioch, that was the first time that they were called Christians, or literally Christ ones. We are marked by how we respond and how we live out the scriptures. But out of this ordinary Antioch church came an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. Did you know Antioch church, that church planted over 15 churches? Antioch became the the greatest, I would think, the greatest um, sending church of all time. They planted daughter churches, and then they went out and preached the gospel to even further reaches, that they actually did granddaughter uh, churches, and then they went out as far as maybe even to Africa and, and to Syria, and they shared the gospel there. And so Antioch was the greatest sending church, all because they were faithful to living out God's purpose and plan right there, diving deep into the scriptures, having the hand of the Lord on them in power because of his presence, um, and also that they had partnership, they had partnership with others, and also they had the preaching and teaching of God's word that will lead to great reproduction and reproducing churches. And that's what the vision of, 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 of our home groups at Hope Church and discipleship we're not just about getting people into the seats. We're into people pursuing Jesus for all that he is and all that he has to store for them so that they could be reproducing disciples, that you could be disciple maker that is making other disciples, and then you would become leaders. And then from that leadership, then you start reproducing churches. And that's always been Hope's dream, is that we would be able to plant churches um, up and down, you know, the Beltway and up and down 290. And, and so... Don't see this ordinary um, just discipleship as just affecting you. It is affecting generations and generations and peoples far beyond what you can ask or think. That's what God is doing through things like the gathering. I'm so glad that um, David and Kathy are here and that I'm just so rejoicing with you all because that's where it is. We've always wanted to see a church plan and, and that's where the Lord has just been uh, blessing your faithfulness. David, you told me that you never would see yourself actually planning a church and now you're being challenged just to teach and to preach, you know, and just to, to raise up this church plan. And we just want to cover you, and we had hope. We just want to pray for you. We're going to be praying for them at the next Covenant member meeting. And 
Maybe that's just what, how the Lord has organically made it, that God has allowed this church plant to grow. But we're praying for more and more and more for God to, to raise up more leaders, more disciples, and raise up some of you that you would go out and advance the kingdom of God and just in faithfulness to him, all for his glory. Let's all stand and let's all uh, come together as we uh, invite you in, into this time of, of prayer. And uh, we just want to lift up, uh, also continue to lift up the gathering. I want to encourage you. I was going to tell everybody to encourage David and Kathy, but I, I remember that they're going to be right here. So um, encourage them, um, encourage them what they're doing, continue to be steadfast, be a Barnabas to them, um, ask them how they can partner up. I know Randy and Stacy and Peter have been um, speaking and teaching and, and uh, see if there's any way you can lift them up. Let's continue to pray for hope in this new season that God would just continue to fight against apathy or loneliness and that God would just push you toward uh, more uh, surrender to him. If that's something that you're struggling with, we want to have an honor and privilege of just being able to pray with you. Um, we want to invite guests and we want to invite covenant members to come and pray. And whatever is on your heart, it would be a joy and a privilege to pray for you. We just ask that a man pray with a man and a woman pray with a woman. But if in anything, we would love, love to lift up your needs in prayer. Let's pray right now as we come before God and as we come before him. Father, thank you so, so much. You're an amazing God, worthy of praise, worthy of glory. Lord, I give you thanks for what you've done in brothers like, my, like Eddie's life and what you've done in so, so many hopefuls, Father, just through faithful shepherding and leading and caring by all these hopefuls in this room. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are such a good God, and we praise you and worship you. And Father, we pray that that would not stop here. But Lord, if there's anything that's preventing us from deeper discipleship with you, if there's any addictions or if there's any struggles or if there's anything, God, that, Lord, you would just set people free today. We pray that your spirit would work in such a way that if you're reminding us, Lord, even if just confessing that you've lost the joy of your salvation and just coming for prayer, that God would just relight a fire in you. We invite you to come for prayer. If, if the Lord is leading you to, to grow in some aspect of leadership or uh, grow in something that you never have walked in before and you're feeling fear, we want to encourage you to come before him. If you are new today and you're kind of new to this Jesus um, thing and this Jesus way, we want to encourage you. To, um, if you're making sense of who God is and you want to know him, we want to encourage you to come for prayer. Father, we love you and we lift up this time. God, do whatever you want. In this, in this space. Would, would you, will you move? And Father, I just pray that you would move. God, move in hope and greater surrender and freedom. Father, may your, be, your name be glorified and exalted even further than what we can ask or imagine, Father. This next season, Father, may we just ask, Lord, for your hope. We ask for your leadership. We ask, Lord, for your shepherding. And, Lord, we just pray that you would unleash your body, God, to be able to reach the hurting, the poor, the sick, uh, the blind, that we would see signs and wonders. We would see miracles. We would see you move in great power, Father, for the glory of your name the building up of your church. Father, we just want to continue to pray for the gathering as well. We pray that your spirit will be upon uh, their uh, fledging church plan as they move forward to that and as they, they continue to meet together. We pray that your spirit and guide David and Kathy. We pray that you bless them richly with more of your presence, that the hand of the Lord will be upon them in every way. You protect them from the enemy and pour out your spirit over us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.